Good morning, church family. Last time we were in Mark, we came out the came off the high point of Mark. You're the Christ. The Lord was taking us to a higher place to who he, who he is. And today, the Lord tells us what a disciple is. And out of, out of our scripture reading, Brother Garrett read that, that a disciple is not above his teacher. A slave is not above his master. And we must become like his teacher or his master. So today the Lord is setting expectations of what a disciple is. In other words, what a Christian is. This may be one of the most important messages that we take to heart to encourage us, but also to challenge to see if we are in the faith. Test yourself to see if you're in the faith, the Lord says. This is a word that is a strong word from the Lord. And so I've been praying and asking people to pray that my heart would just be overflowing for love for the people here, our church family, but also any guests that are here today. To test ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And so this is an important thing that we understand. Peter, I believe, has influenced Mark's gospel. I believe Mark's gospel is through the eyes of Peter. And as Pastor Jeremy's been preaching, the Roman church has been going under persecution. And perhaps Mark wrote this portion to encourage those who are undergoing persecution. In our nation, we don't know persecution like like the Roman church did or other Christians know around the world. But I believe persecution is coming and this is important for us to understand what the Lord is saying so that we'll be encouraged in what God is doing. So we'll be at Mark chapter 8, verse 34 to 38. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. And I'm going to back up to verse 31 to give a little bit more context, but we'll be preaching out of verse 34 to 38. So if you're able to, please rise. Mark 8, from 31 to 38. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he was stating the matter openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you're not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Now today's portion that will be preached, verse 34. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious word. Thank you for this clear, clear teaching by the Lord to encourage us today, to test ourselves, to see if we're in the faith. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Please have a seat. The sermon title is All In With Jesus. 
all in with Jesus. Dr. Michael Reeves got in front of the class and began to say a statement that shook me. And he said, you are at a disadvantage to our class because your country doesn't have a history of martyrdom. And his point was, it's harder to be the trailblazer. His point was, as persecution comes, we don't have any American martyrs necessarily to look forward to as role models. Now, Dr. Michael Reeves is from England, and they've had forerunners. And what we learned in our classes from he and, and Dr. Lawson is that the Marian martyrs were the mark of a heritage of faithful brothers and sisters who went to the stake to die for the sake of the gospel. From 1555 to 1558, three-year period, the reign of Bloody Mary killed approximately 300 Christians. Christian preachers, men who were preachers of God's word, women who were faithful to the word, businessmen, even children were burned at the stake in those three-year periods by Bloody Mary, Mary Tudor. Bloody Mary took the throne and she was a staunch Catholic and she went against the Protestants. She prohibited the Reformation. She denounced the, 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 the Protestant movement. Even the death penalty was instituted. And who were the martyrs? These were the strongest Protestants in England and they stood up for the true gospel. And what was the crime? They spoke out against communion of all things. And the Catholics believe that when the priest gets up at the altar, we don't have an altar, we have a pulpit. When he gets up at the altar, the bread and the juice or the wine is turned into a literal body or the literal flesh of Christ and the blood of Christ. And every time the priest gets up there at the altar, he takes the bread and sacrifices Jesus Christ over and over and over again. And this is how you receive forgiveness of your sins, by taking communion in that way, mediated through this priest. So the Bible teaches that Jesus was sacrificed once for all. But staunch Catholics believe that Christ is being sacrificed over and over and over again at the altar. And you need to go to their masses to be forgiven of your sins. John Rogers he said, this is impossible. Christ cannot be in the bread and wine. He is at the right hand of the Father. How can he, his glorified body, be in the bread and the wine? And in February 14, 1555, at Smithfield, which is in the heart of London, he was led, led to the stake, quoting Psalm 51, and the stake was right in front of his church site, and his church members were rooting him on. Pastor, be faithful, be faithful. And they burned him at the stake right in front of his church and this started out the Marian martyrs. He was the first one to go. My question to the church is this. Would you die for Jesus Christ? Would you go and lay down your life for the sake of Christ? Well, let's take it a little bit lower than that. Would you be willing to lose friends for the sake of Christ, for the sake of the gospel? Would you be willing to get fired from your job for the sake of the gospel? Would you be willing to deny college acceptance for the sake of Christ? That day may be coming, guys. And so the Lord makes it very clear 
what it means to be a Christian today. And in some ways, some of us may not even return next week, quite frankly. This word is so clear from the Lord to count the cost of being a Christian. You may not show up next week. You may not come back. But I believe this is a strong word from the Lord, but I believe the Lord loves us. That's why he's given us this word here. And I pray that this word would embolden us to be all in with Jesus Christ. So let's get to the scripture here, the text here. We must be all in with Christ because, number one, Christ, because of Christ's requirement. Verse 34 says this, And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, the Lord summons the crowd, not just the 12. He's not saying if you want to be a, a Navy SEAL Christian or a Special Forces Christian or a varsity level Christian, he says to the entire crowd, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to be a Christian, he sets the, the terms right here now. So if you want to be a disciple, he gives us his open invitation to anyone and everyone who wants to be a Christian, who wants to be a disciple. Christian and disciple are synonymous terms. A disciple means you're a follower of Christ. A Christian means you're a little Christ. You're trying to emulate Christ. In verse 34, he goes on to address the crowd and says, If anyone wishes to come after me, anyone, unqualified open invitation, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must, he must, non-negotiable terms, not he should or he might think about, he must deny himself. What does this mean? This means you are willing to deny your own desires. You're no longer at the center of the universe. You're no longer the Lord of your life. You're no longer the captain of your ship. Your anthem is no longer as Frank Sinatra saying, I did it my way. It's not that anymore. It's no longer your model to say, let's be true to yourself. No, 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 no. All those things are gone. And, and how is this even possible? How is this even possible to deny yourself, right? This is an important thing that we need to understand. How is it even possible to deny yourself? Well, it's the work of God. This is the doctrine of regeneration, being born again. Have you heard that term before, I'm a born again Christian? That means as 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, in Christ, we're a new creation. In Christ, I'm a new person. In Christ, old things have passed away. In Christ, new things have come. In other words, if you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, Christ is taking over your life. What that means is that you have new affections, old affection, old things that you used to love are no longer as lovely. I have new affections, new affections for Christ and the things of Christ. I love Jesus Christ. This is what this means. The old world isn't as exciting anymore. Wins and championships aren't as exciting anymore. They're not. The lies of wealth and, and reputation are more obvious to you. They're fleeting. Impressing people are not as important to you anymore. The thrills of taking trips and going to nice places, it's fun, but it's kind of been there, done that. Denying yourself doesn't mean you take a vow of poverty. That's not what this is saying. It just means that your heart is not attracted to the things that drove you at one time, that you worked relentlessly for. 
2 Corinthians 4, 6 says this, that because of God, because of God regenerating our hearts, we see the glory of God in the face of Christ. Like as this, the hymn says, turn your eyes to Jesus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim. Did you hear that? And the things of earth will grow strangely dim as you look into the face of, of Jesus Christ in the light of his glory and grace. That's a born-again man. A born-again man, a born-again woman is someone who sees the face of Christ and nothing else matters. All the other stuff just seems like it doesn't matter like it used to. Born-again people take up your cross. Notice this, he must take up his cross, not the cross of Christ. Christ dies for sinners and rose again. We need to take up our own cross what does this mean? This is talking about how all in are you? This is the extent to how far you're going to take it. Are you willing to die for Jesus Christ? You may not have to die. It may not happen in your lifetime. It may not ever happen in America. But are you willing to die for Jesus Christ? And this is not a martyr's complex where I'm trying to die and you want to die. This is not that. But it's, are you willing to take it to the limits in and, and, and my old world of football, there are some guys that are willing to take it to the edge. I mean, the greatest competitors, those who are able to, are the greatest champions are willing to die to take it all the way to the end to win. Even at that level, you're able to, willing to die. Are you willing to die, friends, as Christians? A regenerated or born-again man or woman will follow. And Jesus says, you will follow me. In this, in this word that the Lord uses in the original language, is in the present tense. That means you keep doing it. It's not like I, I decided to follow Christ when I was in uh, college and then I forgot about that. You're day to day, every moment that you're thinking, I'm going to follow Jesus, I'm following Jesus. You're recommitting, reaffirming this. I will follow Jesus. This is a conscious decision. I follow Jesus, I don't follow myself. I follow Jesus, I don't follow my spouse. I follow Jesus, I don't follow my boss. This is a strong word, as I said. The Lord makes it crystal clear. And I want to make it very clear here as well. Denying yourself, taking up your cross, following Jesus does not, hear me clearly now, does not merit your salvation. It does not. This is basically simply a fruit of your salvation that you have been reborn again, that you are a new creation. And really, this is the same message that the Lord preached out of Mark 1.15 from the very beginning of the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel, he said. See, denying yourself is repenting. I'm not going to follow myself. I'm not going to follow my old sinful ways. And following Jesus means I repent and I turn to Jesus as my Lord and Savior. This is the same message that he's been preaching this whole time, but he just makes it crystal clear. Meaning all your allegiance used to be in the world, now your allegiance with Jesus Christ. That's what this is saying. Jesus is Lord is your mantra. Jesus is Lord is the tattoo that you get put on your body, right? This is who you are now. Jesus Christ is my Lord. And this is the gospel message. That instead of you being your own Lord, instead of money being your Lord, instead of your friends and family being your Lord, instead of your reputation being your Lord, 
Jesus is my Lord. Why is that good news, friends? Is that because if those other things are your Lord's, that's gonna lead you to destruction. None of those things are gonna save your eternity. Christ Jesus is the only one who is qualified to be your Lord, to save you unto eternity. What does this mean? That you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He took on the wrath of God. He took on hell for you and me, sinners, so that we can be forgiven of our sins. That's not the only part of the gospel, and the gospel goes on. So we repent, we turn from these things, and entrust ourselves to Christ. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. This is what he's calling on, his lordship. He's saying, hey, if you want to be with me, you need to submit to me as your Lord. Have you done this? I have such a burden in my mind and my heart for this church and anyone who decides to come here is this, have you heard the gospel before? We may have heard Jesus died for your sins and by trusting him you could be saved, but have you heard repent and believe the gospel? Have you heard that I need to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him? These are the terms of the gospel, friends. I'm so concerned that people think that they're saved when they're not. And in this crowd, undoubtedly, as I said before, some may not even show up next week. Undoubtedly, some in the crowd never followed them after this point. I see what you're saying. I'm not ready for that. This is not what I want. I'm not born again. Think hard upon this, friends. Brothers and sisters, thank and thank God for the regenerating work that he's done in your life. None of this is from us. None of this is from us. Let's go to the second point. We must be all in with Jesus because of Christ's reverse logic. Christ's reverse logic. Jim Elliott grew up in Portland, Oregon. He decided to commit his life as a missionary and went to Ecuador and was killed by the people that he was trying to evangelize, the Aka Indians. And they found in his journal written, and in their journal read, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me read that again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I think he understood the next point here. In verse 35, the Lord says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Instead of staying in Portland or doing whatever he wanted to, he said, you know what? I want to go down there and minister the gospel to this unreached people group. But whoever loses his life, I'm going to give this life up, a life of comfort, a life of just living for myself. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. This is an upside down thinking here, right? This is out of this world thinking. You got to lose to win. I mean, this goes against my very nature uh, in my competitiveness. We have to win. This is how this works, right? You may be thinking the same thing. We have to win. Well, the Lord has a different type of logic here. You have to lose to win. And the stakes are high right here because this is if you save your life, if you keep your life, you will lose your life. That means eternal destruction, hell. 
The Lord makes it crystal clear. There's no straddling the line. I'm in, I'm in with Christ. I'm in with the world. You can't wear two colored jerseys. It's either you're in with Christ or you're in with the world. And the Lord makes it very clear. He's trying to set the line here, set the expectations here. And whoever loses his life, I mean, there's many, there are many noble causes to lose your life. There's some many brave men and women who fought in wars who lost their life. There are policemen and firemen who have lost their lives trying to save and help people. You may lose your life, man, defending your family. These are all noble causes. But the Lord is very clear. He says, if you lose your life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Are you willing to lose your life for the sake of Christ and the gospel? You're making a conscious decision for the sake of Christ and the gospel. I mean, some things that I think about, we've been praying, just to let you know what's been going on in our hearts as leaders and my heart. I've been praying for elders, lay elders to be raised up at Evergreen Baptist Church of San Gabriel Valley. One of the burdens I have is to have generational health for our church. In order to have generational health, we need to have leaders from within leading the church. This is what we've been praying for. And this is an example of giving up some things here. Because it would make no sense. Why would you, sitting there, brother, want to just get out of your seat and be in front of everybody and take on more concerns, take on more criticisms, perhaps? Why would you want to open yourself up for attack from the enemy? The Satan has his spiritual crosshairs pointed at any leaders of our church. Why would you want to do that? Isn't it more comfortable, relaxing, just to show up on the Lord's Day, get ministered to, and then go home and take care of your family? This is a crazy thing. Who would do something like that? You wouldn't want to do that because it's going to cost you. If the Lord is stirring the thought of being an elder to care for the local church here at Evergreen Baptist Church, take care of his bride, it's going to cost you. It's reverse thinking. This is reverse thinking. This is a much harder route. I mean, things like that. That's what it looks like to deny yourself and to follow the Lord. Where has God called you to serve? May not be as an elder, but where has God called you to inconvenience yourself, to give up something so that you could serve him? This is what the Lord is saying. Let's go to our third point here. We must be all in with Jesus because of Christ's rationale. Christ's rationale. This is, he has irrefutable reasoning. This, this next point is going to be so clear that there isn't much explanation here needed. Verse 36 says this, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? See, the Lord is giving us reasons why he's worth dying for. He's given us reasons to deny ourselves and to follow him. He's not some unloving Lord where he goes, just follow me, just die and that's it. No, 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 no. He knows the tension in our minds here. He had tension going to the cross. He understands what you're thinking right now. He understands that the tension in your heart may, am I really a saved person? Am I willing to go to, the, to die for Christ? As you're thinking this right now, he knows what you're thinking. And that he lovingly gives us reasons why he's worth it. The world, the whole world is the, this word is cosmos. In other words, in the original language, it's cosmos. This is like the world system. What the world says is important. Everything the world has to offer. 
but the whole world is temporary. What is your soul? The soul is who you really are. Once the flesh decays, once all your bones and your muscles and your nervous system are gone, it's who you are. It's who you're left with. And your soul will live on forever. Did you know that? Did you know that your soul will live on forever? In two places. Either in heaven with the Lord or apart from heaven, apart from the Lord in hell. Two addresses. You will live forever. And this is, what does it profit a man? I mean, this is like an accounting term. Imagine a scale here. On one end is the world. All the money in the world. All the prestige in the world. All the success in the world. All the friends in the world. All the fame in the world. All the admiration of the world, right? That's all on one side. And then, this, and then you put out your soul. Boom. The scale will say that your soul is infinitely worth more than all the world has to offer. Why is that? I asked this to the youth and they know the answer. Your soul is eternal. Everything, even your degree, even your family and friends is temporary. Apart from Christ, these relationships are temporary. That's why even if you were to live 100 years of, of the most prosperous life on this planet, if you had your best life now, it would be your best life now because hell is waiting. Your soul is worth way more than anything this world has to offer. Jesus tells the story of the, of the fool. The fool said to himself, wow, I got so many things here. Let me build a bigger barn. Let me put more, my grain and my goods in there. I have so much stuff. It's like the American dream. Let's work hard. Let's sacrifice. And he says to himself, he starts preaching to himself. Have you done this to yourself before? You start thinking things to yourself. I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. I could retire now. I could take those trips. I go all around the world, experience the world. As John Piper said, I could pick up seashells off the beach and be happy forever and ever. And not one care in the world. I got my retirement set. I'm good. He says to his soul, take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you. It's time to die. It's time to die. And if that's what you're about, it's time to die, and you forfeit your soul, it's time to go to hell now for eternity. You fool. Memorial Day is a great holiday. I love just, other than time off and rest, I love visiting cemeteries, and we did that this past Monday, and maybe perhaps some of you guys did the same. And as you walk through the tombstones or not wanting to step on the, the stones, as I read the names and even see the little symbols that represent their lives, I think to myself, I wonder if this person is in heaven with the Lord or in hell. Do you ever think that? I mean, you, as you're going through the cemetery, if for those of us who do, have you thought that? Have you thought about what hell is like? Have you thought about hell? Let's imagine together right now. Let's, let's, if you mind, don't mind, close your eyes. Let's close your eyes. I'm gonna take us through something. Let's imagine together as a church family what hell is like, what it's like to be in hell. 
2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, it's eternal destruction. You will live forever in hell apart from the presence of God. Think of everything that's good in your life. Your family, the touch of loved ones, seeing beautiful surroundings, having food to eat, enjoying the feeling of good food, enjoying the feeling of uh, and the emotions that come with good music. All that is gone. If you're thinking I'm going to be with my friends, hanging out with my unsaved friends, that's not going to happen because friendships are from God. Think of all wrath and no grace. Think about how the Lord describes it as you're tossed into the outer darkness and you've been gnashing your teeth forever. You're alone. It's dark. The, the Bible describes hell as having fire. And what you have to do is to do one task for all of eternity as you're by yourself. You're lost and you're left unto your own thoughts thinking about what could have been. I sure listened to my parents. I sure listened to the preacher. I should have listened. I sold my soul for some trinkets. I given up my eternal birthright for a bowl of beans. I gave up Christ because I thought I could have both. I thought I could have the world and Christ. I thought I could have that boyfriend who's not a believer and Christ. I thought I could live and cheat and get as much money and still have Christ. I thought I could just be, live for myself and my family, but I gave up Christ. Part of hell, friends, is to be tormented to ponder what could have been. And right now, you may be thinking this. You may be 70 years old right now, 60 years old, thinking, I've been thinking this way all my life. But the good news, friends, is this. There's hope because you can repent. You can repent and turn to the Lord right now. But in eternal hell, there is no hope. There is no hope. There is no hope. What's your price? As you think about your soul, what would you sell your soul for? What kind of deal would you make with the devil? What kind of deal are you willing to exchange your soul for? Your boats, your trips, your real estate, your money, your timeshares, is that what you're willing to sell? Mere peanuts for your soul. Are you willing to exchange degrees and career and success, even fame for your soul? Would you do that? No one's going to remember you after you go. I mean, I look at the tombstone. Some people lived 100 years ago, and nobody knows who they are. Not even their relatives remember who they are. These stones are like not even shiny. You know, you know the relatives aren't even coming around to remember you. You'll be forgotten in a generation or two. It's like chasing after wind, Solomon said, didn't he? I mean, would you exchange your soul for to make your husband happy, your spouse happy? Your children, is, is living for your children, your grandchildren, is that what would, you would exchange your soul for, your friends? I mean, Matthew 10, 37, Garrett read, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. This may challenge people in our church here. 
is it possible? I thought, I thought loving family was at the top. I thought family is everything. No, it's not. That's a lie. Family is number two. Jesus Christ is number one. Undisputed champion of your life. Because after death, friends, none of these things are going to come with you. You're not going to bring one red cent with you. You're not going to bring your degree with you. You're not going to bring your championship rings with you. You're not going to even bring your relationships with you if you're headed towards hell. Going back to the, the Marian martyrs, under Bloody Mary's reign, Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley were imprisoned. John Rogers was marched to the stake and he burned and word got back to, uh, to, to uh, Latimer and Ridley. And they were scared. It's like, is this going to happen to us? But they were encouraged knowing that John Rogers stay head steadfast, remained steadfast and remained true. In October, on October 16th, 1555, tied to the stake at Oxford two hours outside of London, First Ridley encouraged Latimer, says, be of good heart, brother, for God will either calm down the fury of the flame or I'll strengthen us to abide by it. Meaning, hang in there. Brother Latimer, hang in there. God will give us the strength to go through this. As the flames were set on fire, Latimer cried out to Ridley, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out. And they went into eternity. See, how do you die? How, how are you willing to die? Because it's completely counterintuitive. You have an eternal mindset. You know you're, this is not home. And as I look out into the congregation, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak on these things. Have you been living for Christ? Have you been living for Christ? Let's get to our final point here. We must be all in with Jesus because Christ's return. Christ's return. Verse 38 says this, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, what does that mean? Adulterous means that this is a fickle generation. That means that we're a two-timing generation. That means that we like to say we're faithful to our spouse when we're not. We like to say we're faithful to Christ when we're not. We like to say that uh, we love the Lord, but we love other things more. James 4, 4 says, friendship with the world is hostility towards God. This is what the Lord says. If you're friends with the world, not people necessarily, but the world's system, the world's way of thinking, you are enemies of God. This is an adulterous and sinful generation. What does it mean to be ashamed of the, of the Lord? What does it mean to be ashamed of the Lord? I mean, here's a test that may help. Um, are there any close people in your life, your family, your friends, your coworkers that you see every day that don't know that you're a Christian? Question mark. If so, why not? If so, why not? I'm sure there might be some circumstances, but that's being ashamed, in other words. Okay, we're, perhaps we're not all called to be preachers or be preaching on the corner on Valley right there. I get that. 
But are there opportunities to say, yeah, I'm with Christ? Or are you looking for affirmation from other people? Looking for affirmation from the things of the world? This is a son of man will be ashamed of you if you're ashamed of Christ when he returns. Matthew 10, 32, 33 from our scripture reading says this, therefore everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. When he comes in the glory of the Father and with the holy angels, the Lord Jesus will say, I know you. I know you. I know you. You're mine. You, you said you're mine and I'm, you're, you are mine. So as an application, how can we be all in with Jesus Christ? Well, focus is everything. Are you focused on the imminent return of Jesus Christ? Do you want Jesus Christ to come back. Are you sitting here right now thinking, after I start my family, I'm ready for Jesus Christ to come. After I spend time with my grandchildren, I'm ready for Jesus Christ to come. As, as long as I check off the first eight things on my bucket list, I'm ready for Jesus Christ to come. Right, that's crazy, right? Of course we want Christ to come now. We want, Christ, we want to see Christ. Matthew 10, 28 says this, out of the scripture reading again, and do not fear those who kill the body but are, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is what the Lord says. According to Mark Dever, what made Ridley and Latimer and all these other brave men and women tick he talks about the Puritans, Dever does. The Puritans believe that living well, living well was the art of dying well. Living well was the art of dying well. That is, we best live each day, each hour, well prepared for God to draw our life to an end and call us to give an account to him. I mean, are we, in other words, are we living with the end in mind? Are we, in other words, are we living life backwards? Where we want to hear, well done, good and faithful slave. Is that how we're living? Are we being strategic in how we live? Is that our focus? Anyone who has or is goal-oriented, who is championship-oriented, has this in mind. This is what I want to do. Therefore, these are the steps that are going to get me there. Are you living as if you are going to see Christ someday and he is going to judge every word, thought, and deed that you did? Are you living for Jesus Christ every day? This is, a, even in the little things, if you want to die for Christ someday, make those small decisions every day to follow Jesus Christ. Practice the little things. Practice the little drills so that when the game happens, you're ready. Practice with your teammates and practice so that when the game happens, you're ready. Practice dying and living for Christ every day. Let's finish off with this here. I started the sermon with the question, will you die for Christ? That's been the theme of this message, right? Dying for Christ, taking up your cross. If you're sitting here right now and just say, absolutely not. I want to lovingly warn you, like I will never die. I will never give up my family for Christ. I will never give up my wealth for Christ. You're basically saying no to Christ. Therefore, you're not a Christian. But what if you're thinking, what if I prayed the prayer or raised the hand? 
Friends, regeneration hasn't taken place. You may have prayed the prayer or raised the hand, but regeneration hasn't taken place. But you say, well, I thought becoming a Christian was step one and becoming a disciple was step two. You've been misinformed. You've been misinformed. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. You didn't understand Christ's terms. My encouragement to you is give your life to Christ. <laughs> He's worth it. He's worth it. You want to be standing there on that day thinking, I traded my life for a bowl of beans. And if you're like me, number two, maybe you're thinking this, I want to be all in, but I'm scared. Right? I want to say I'll be faithful in that day, but I don't know. That's honest. And that's probably most of us in here. How is it even possible to persevere to the very end? Remember Peter who, who inspired Mark? Did he not deny the Lord? Did he not deny the Lord? How is it possible? Well, I got good news for you. It goes back to the gospel message. The same grace that saved you, that regenerated you, will preserve you to the very end. Let me read some scripture to encourage us. Write this down if you're a note taker. Philippians 1.6 for I am confident of this very thing. What, Paul, are you confident of? Well, this one thing, this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, God the Father began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. God the Father who foreknew you, who predestined you, who sent his son to die for you, will in fact and has in fact sent his spirit to regenerate you, to sanctify you, to persevere you, and to, he will glorify you in the end. It's done. When Jesus Christ hung on the cross and says, it is finished, salvation was a wrap for the elect, for you and me, his people. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says this, faithful is he, God, who calls you, who also will do it. Do what? Finish the work of salvation. It's not about us. So if you're thinking like, man, I don't know if I got it in me. Of course you don't. None of us have it in us to do this. But if you're a truly regenerate person, God will do it. God promises to do it. And if you fail at times, repent and turn right back to him as Peter did. The same grace that strengthened Rogers, Latimer, Ridley, Elliot will strengthen you and me to be faithful to the end. And this is the gospel. It's not about us. It never was about us. It was never about our choice or our will. It's about God's will and in, 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 in turning to fruition into obedience of our following him. It's not about our strength. Think about that. Think about that. It's not about us. If you thought it was about you, you're wrong. It's about God. It's about God. Think on these words that which we'll sing after we take the Lord's Supper, when faced with trials on every side, we know, we know the outcome is secure. We know the outcome is secure. As saints of old still line the way, saints who have died and gone before us, saints who have been martyred before us, retelling triumphs of his grace, not their grace, his grace, we hear their calls and hunger for the day when with Christ we stand in glory. Isn't that beautiful? We're gonna sing that in a few moments here after we take the Lord's Supper.
Well, this is what this is about. It's about focusing on the Lord and who he is and what he's done and what he's promised. And as a means of strengthening ourselves, we've been given communion or Lord's Supper. Today is Communion Sunday where we get to observe the ordinance of communion. And if you're a guest or, 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 or new, the Lord's Supper, at the Lord's Supper, we remember what the Lord Jesus Christ done, has done to save sinners like you and me. We do not re-sacrifice Jesus Christ. We remember, as we'll hear, hear, uh, hear read here in the shortly out of 1 Corinthians 11, at the Lord's Supper, we remember the ultimate sacrifice. You cannot, I cannot outgive God. We cannot outgive God. God is the one who paid the ultimate price to save sinners like you and me. And it's family time. So I want to take some time to prepare our hearts to take, receive communion. The Lord says to take communion in a worthy manner. And I'm going to take time to read this because this is very important. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-seven 27 says this. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Meaning the Lord is calling us to take communion in a worthy manner. But a man must test himself, examine himself, just like what we just did through the sermon. Examine yourself. Am I truly in the faith? And in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number asleep. Meaning in this time at the Corinthian church, people were getting sick and people were dying because they were taking communion in an unworthy manner. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged but when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord so that we will not con be condemned along with the world, the world, the world. How do we take communion in a worthy manner? First and foremost, are you a Christian? Are you a genuinely saved man or woman? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Can you genuinely say Jesus is the Lord of my life? Can you say that? If you're not sure, it's better to wait. And parents, if you're not sure about your children, you shouldn't have them take communion. It, it, this has no bearing on salvation. This, is, this is, will make your dis discipleship much more effective. Number two, so number one, in a word, are you a Christian? Number two, are you coming to the table in a genuine manner? What does that mean? Are there any sins to repent of? Right now, is there stubbornness in your heart? Is there coldness towards the Lord? Is there jealousy? Is there, is there a break in fellowship with other Christians? Are there people that you need to reconcile with, commit to reconciling with? Well, the Lord is gracious. Let's take this time now to repent of these things, to resolve before the Lord that we will seek to reconcile broken relationships. We will repent of any sins that are, that are in minds and hearts before we come to the Lord's table. So right now what I'm going to do is we're going to pray corporately together. I'll lead us in a prayer of repentance. And I'll give you some private time to pray about any specific issues that may be floating in your mind and your heart. Okay, and we'll ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to take communion in a worthy manner. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that you are gracious and merciful. You're a compassionate and loving Father where we could come to you as children who have stumbled. Father, thank you for the eternal security that you promise your people. It's not about our faithfulness. It's about you fulfilling what you have promised to do, what you have done when you said, it is finished, Lord Jesus. Thank you that we don't ever have to wonder once we're in the faith, if, I, if I'm still in the faith, Lord, it is you who holds us. You said, I certainly will not cast out all who come to me, but I'll hold them to the very end. Father, now forgive us as a church family for not denying ourselves. Forgive us for living as if Frank Sinatra was preaching in our ears to do it our ways. Forgive us for focusing on our life, on this life. Forgive us for lack of faith. We believe, help us to believe even more. Thank you for this teaching, Lord, to show us how valuable our souls are. Thank you. So forgive us for not valuing our souls as we should. Forgive us for being peacekeepers and not doing the right thing in honoring man more than you, Lord. Forgive us of these things. And Father, I, I pray, Lord, that you stir in our hearts to, to pray and to repent about things that we need to right now. So church family, in your heart, quietness of your heart, pray. Father, prepare our hearts to receive communion in a worthy manner. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you're so loving and you're so gracious towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.